Welcome to another episode of the Arena Craft Podcast, a show dedicated exclusively to Magic the Gathering Arena. My name is Arjuna. I'm one of your hosts. We are lucky today to actually have three of us on the line here. So first of all, we are joined, joined by regular host Kova Goblu. How are you doing today, CGB? I am doing great. How are you doing? And how is everyone doing? I'll answer for him. You're doing great. It's great. Everything's great. Everything's great today. Don't, don't worry about it. We got it covered. So for our special guest today, um, I'm, I'm really excited to introduce this person, someone who I'm sure you probably already know, uh, just like a, a hot content creator who's really been blowing up this year, um, super talented player, member of Fade to Karma, and just all around good guy. It is Danny T. Law. How are you doing today, Danny? I'm doing really great. Thanks for being here. And yeah, uh, you definitely made me blush right there. Um, <laughs> thanks a lot. Yeah. Uh, looking forward to have a good time here. That's the goal. You know, I, I think I've developed a reputation on this podcast for just like trying to trying to push my guests comfort level as far as how much I can compliment them. So you're uh, you're in good company here. <laughs> So we, we have a little bit of grab bag of things to talk about today. We're, we're going to just chat a little bit with Danny about his experience of, of playing on Arena and kind of like his content creation story. And we're also probably going to talk a little bit about Historic and Jumpstart because that's just really, really present at the moment in the meta game. And it's also... You know, I mean, we could talk about standard, but I just feel like a lot of standard is feels relatively solidified. And uh, so anyway, it just seems like a really good time to be looking at another format, which is uh, seeing a lot of shift right now. And especially in preparation for the upcoming open and, and you know, the invitational and stuff like that. So that's that's going to be the shape of the show. So. I wanted to start the way I have often started with my guests in the past, which is just to ask you, Danny, about a brief history with you and the game Magic as a whole and how you came to start focusing on playing Arena. Okay, yeah. Well, it started all with Magic when I was, I would say, 11 or 12 years old, which is 17 years ago, I guess, or 18 years. And... I was just this kid going to the local store, seeing this game and everyone was playing it. Then I started to play it as well. Fell in love with it with my friends, which is really important, right? If all around you play it, then you kind of get into it. And really enjoyed it. Went to the local game store every day, played there every day, until to the point where I went to the Nationals here with 12 years old. And I was a bit intimidated because everyone was so tall. I was just a little kid. With my uh, aggro deck. <laughs> That's what you play when you're 12. Hell at a yeah. big tournament, right? <laughs> and yeah, I remember I played Ravage Affinity. Back in the day in Mirrodin, I think it was. And that was basically my first tournament with 12 or 14. And after that, I just played casually. Um, school, um, soccer, like all those things uh, just happened. And just now and then I played a little bit, maybe with like 18 and 19, then maybe with like 25 again a little bit. And then I went to Japan in 2018 
And I lived like maybe, let's say, five minutes away from uh, the shop called Hareruya, which is a huge company in Japan. And I just lived around the corner and I was like, huh, what is this? I went inside, everyone was playing magic. I was like, wow, okay, that looks cool. And then uh, I suddenly started to go there every single day again. They have tournaments every day. I played there every day, literally every day. Met many people, had a lot of fun. And at the same time, last year, I think that was last year, um, I tried to stream from Japan. Uh, but with my time schedule and everything, I was not 100% committed. I just did it for fun. And so that was my first streaming experience, like in general. And definitely different people back then. I mean, CGB was around for sure for longer, but many I see now streaming were not there yet. And But then I stopped again and uh, focused on my work and my life there and just played paper. That's that's the origin story until this year. Okay. So that that's fantastic. I didn't know that you had the opportunity to play within the hallowed halls of Hararuya itself. <laughs> that's that's really cool. So how did you go from those humble beginnings to becoming someone that I consider to be like a really up and coming and, and growing streamer on Twitch? Um, I remember it started actually on New Year. I mean this new year, I was like, okay, guys, I'm going to try this again. I know I know, I can play this game Magic, but I just need to dedicate everything on it. So in January, I did inf- like inform myself around about everything, stream setups, like meta, everything. I just really, it's like a lot of teach myself first before I just stream like I did before. I try to uh, see what's around, what people do, and really just try just try to, to, to go into the community. And I, I did not watch a lot. I mean, I watched CGB. I knew, I think I Patreoned you before I streamed, or maybe just around the same time. Yeah, I think before I streamed, I was Patreon so. of you. Yeah. yeah. So I just know some people, right? And then that's like my reference. And I just, just went into it. Uh, January, I went into it, and it's, it's I mean... <laughs> It is really crazy still thinking about like everything because in January I had like five to 10 years, right? In February, I think that's when you raided me once and I had suddenly a hundred. I was calling my friend, did CGB raided me and I have like a hundred viewers. It's legit crazy. And then five days or six days later, I was like number two in the letter with this chess guy list I had back then. And suddenly, like, people came to my channel and I really realized that maybe my audience could be high-level mythic. And there are some people who stream that as well, right? But there are many uh, just fun streamers. But I think I found my niche there while still being doing some fun decks as well. And, yeah, then Crookies came in my chat in February as well and just randomly said... You're gonna be the second biggest streamer ever. It's like what? <laughs> first, first I saw Crookies there. I was like, "What the hell? What's going on?" And then, yeah, he wrote me. He, come, he came every day to my to my chat, like after he streamed, like every day. I think until now, every time I stream, he's there. I just know he will be there. I don't know how, when he sleeps or how he sleeps, but I know when I stream, he will be there, and we write. And that's like I would say a lot of luck right that uh, he he liked me and we we kind of similar as well like hrys europe and what we did in our lives 
And I guess that really helped me to get reach, even though I never even asked for it. And I would say that's the biggest step in February, March. And then the rest was just, just happened. Excellent. So, so you heard it here first, people. All you need to do to get noticed on Twitch is just become friends with, you know, the legendary CGB, become friends with the legendary Stephen Croak, and and all will flow. But in in all seriousness, I mean, you you're an excellent player of the game and you are an excellent streamer. So, I think, you know, that was something that that these more experienced streamers could see in you. So, you know, I, I I appreciate your modesty. And for anyone listening to this who doesn't watch Danny T. Law, um, definitely just go check out his stream, Danny T. Law, on Twitch and uh, and watch him work. Uh, you're, you're very good at what you do. And I, you know, I... I think that's a really cool, it's it's a really good mix to do with your content where you're like, you're competitive and you're you're trying for high mythic, but you're also throwing in some curveballs and doing some fun stuff. Like when you were describing that, I was like, oh yeah, that's kind of like what Crokies does. And, you know, and it's just, it's a good, it's a good combo, right? Because you get to, you get to learn high level magic, which who doesn't like watching that? And then you also get to have fun while you're doing it. I, I'd like to jump in. Because I think, obviously, part of the joke is it's like, oh, you get to know CGB and you get to know Crokies and you get to know these other players and you too can succeed at streaming. And I think there is a little, there's definitely more to it because I want to, I want to dive into that because without question, I get a lot of people just asking me constantly, like raid my stuff, shout out my stuff because they think that that's the key to succeeding. And um, I mean, just we need to put a little bit of perspective on that. Um, do you have like some things that you think really made you successful that, that mattered because now you stream for hundreds of people and you started streaming in January. That's not normal. I streamed for about 20 people for a year. Uh, I streamed for less than a hundred people for two and a half years. So uh, do you have other things that you'd attribute to? Cause it's easy to say it's because of some larger streamers, but I, I have some opinions that it's, much more than that, but I'll let you go first. Okay, um, I'm not good talking about myself like this, but I think <laughs> I think what definitely helped me was being number two in February for like two weeks, being number two in March for two weeks with like the insane win rate, and then in April I was number three, and then mm-hmm. in May I was number eleven. Like I mean, I definitely have always a consistent high uh, win rate. And that was that was I was trying to, and I think so from the competitive magic side, if you're a good player and like you can play good on a consistent level, right? Um, that's definitely something that attracts people in general because I, I get a lot of uh, people asking me, "Would you play this? Would you do that?" And we're talking about here not just about the normal uh, players. Um, I get. Um, pro players call ask me hey would you play this or do you think this is a good card right and i was completely shocked i mean there are at least five different pros who ask me those kind of things and it's like i got this name data t law like i like people think i just collect the data for everything and then i give, I give them this but back to the streaming um it's a lot of work i think you have to put in a lot of hours you have to be uh, good at the game. I think in general, if you're not a super entertaining person, because I think myself, for example, I'm 
normal entertaining, like a normal, just a normal dude, right? With cracking one, one choke there and there, but I'm just good or better than average at the game, right? So yeah. that's definitely something. You identified your niche. That was the thing that stood out to me. It took you a few months. Like when I rated you, I don't know how many people who follow me are actually interested in competitive magic, but it obviously made a big deal that I could tell them before we raided, not here is another human, watch them play magic. It's here's somebody who specializes in high level magic. Here's somebody who is consistently doing well on the ladder. Here's somebody who is going to play best of three because I don't do that very much. Like if you want to get good at this, watch this guy, you know? So I, I knew what brand I was pitching to my raiders before we even raided. And you got really into it. You know what I mean? You, you embraced it. And that, that's a big deal. Now, I also want to say that if you're a content creator out there listening, you don't have to be high mythic to have somebody take you seriously. You can be entertaining. You can have a specific deck style that you play. There's a million ways to build fans, but you leaned into it. Do you feel pressured to, like, cause you, do you feel pressured to be in a high place on the ladder to maintain your audience at this point? Or do you feel like your fans will follow you, whatever you want to play with? Because I heard you talking on your podcast, another podcast, mm -hmm. pro play podcast. Mm -hmm. uh, you were saying that you've been trying out a number of other decks because you know, you could pick up team or rec and be back in the top 10 if you wanted to. And you're trying to do some other stuff. Do you feel like you're missing out on anything by not doing that? Do you feel like you're letting your fans down? That's a really good question, actually. Um, I remember, like, I think last month, uh, I just want to show the people that you can just pick up the best deck and go up. Because they were asking me, like, uh, why are you not just, like, I'm testing decks, like, for a new, maybe there's a new deck, like, there was with Luca or something, right? I mean, there's always something to be found. And then I saw, like, there's two type of people who watch me. I mean, nowadays, after, like, a half year, they watch me because of me. But I think there's still a lot of people who want me to see, uh, want me to build decks. Because I think that was, like, also one of my special specialities. Like, mm -hmm. oh, my God, the English word, but you know what I mean? Um, yeah, you're a deck. Build you're a certain deck. Yeah, you've been on Deck Doctor with me. Like, we can, you can build decks. We, I think we have this in common. Yeah, for example, like in February, what got me on the radar for like Jason or like Otto, like even Ray Sato, Japanese professional player, was me building a Planeswalker deck in February that was number two, right? And then I put my own spin on Reclamation and I was number two. I played cards no one played because I just thought it's the best card. And, and then people mostly like me for my deck building, I think, and then for the high high mythic letter but just for my fans i think last month i did a one day climb to number 12 and i was like number 900 in one day and i just wanted to show it's it's i'm still the same guy i just try to to do some different things here and and people people are, are still there and I, i'm really i'm really glad they they watch me now for me and for me uh build, playing different decks and and do more this than just have this pressure to be always in the top 10, right? Because I think nowadays many try to do that. They, mm -hmm. Because I also get asked a lot, right? They ask me, they're also content creators that ask me, um, what did you do? I was like, I was in the top 10 every time. And now they try the same, right? Yep, yep, because they think that's the formula. But yep. I mean, it is a formula. It gets mm -hmm. people introduced to you. You have to keep them there. I think that you understand that pretty well.
Yeah, it's there's a magical thing I think which happens too, which is just if you're someone who's just like your combination of personality and perspective and what you offer is just not quite being covered. I feel that when I watch your stream, Danny, where I just feel like, you know, Danny's just like, I can't get what Danny does anywhere else. There's plenty of other stuff, which is good, right? There's plenty of other streamers that I like watching, but no one just quite does it the way Danny does it. And I, I really appreciate that you highlight that, that it's like, it's a craft, right? It's, it's something that you're working on. You didn't just like roll out of bed and be like, hello world, here I am. You, you know, you should watch me. But it was like you picked a thing and you worked on it. And I see that with you as well, CGB, where over time you really identified what it was that both you were excited to do and that people were excited to watch you do. It's something that people don't see from the outside is they don't see that internal process of iteration and of saying, huh, okay, that worked well for me. People responded to that. I'm going to do more of that. I'm going to, or, you know, looking in the mirror and saying, hmm, you know, I think I am pretty good at that. Or I think that that's something that I bring and then just iterating and and working on it. You know, CGB, I, I saw you respond to a Twitter post a while back and it was something to the effect of someone who made a post saying, entertainment streamers in quotes are like a dime a dozen oh you saw that one this is this is as savage as i've ever been on twitter in my life <laughs> oh, oh my savage. gosh I mean, go ahead finish the tweet but it, it was something to the effect of entertainment uh streamers are a dime a dozen but you know there are a much smaller number of like truly talented magic players streaming and this so-and-so person should be getting more attention or i think it was a content creator program post something like that and I saw that your response was, did you have to dig the entertainment streamers? It's actually quite hard to be a consistently entertaining streamer. Can I clarify really quickly? Yeah, yeah, go for it. Because this is going out to a lot of people. So this was a, this was a post by a member of Rivals, a uh, current member of Rivals, excellent player I followed for years. And it did mention, you know, that um, a, certain, uh, a certain person should be in the content creator program who had gotten denied because they were an excellent competitive player. And I said that I agreed with that 100%. That person should be in the content creator program. But he said in the tweet, entertainment streamers are a dime a, dime a dozen. I told him I didn't appreciate the dig because it's actually really hard. <laughs> it, like, like You can put a lot of work into entertaining people. And most, for most of us, it's not natural and I personally don't feel like I wake up with extra charisma points to throw around on the internet. I have to work at this a hundred percent, especially when I'm not feeling it, you know, that like that happens. You don't make YouTube for YouTube uh, videos for 500 days in a row and have like a backup. Well, if I'm not feeling it, I'll just, you know, not do it. Like, like y you find a way to do it. So um, I hope you don't mind me explaining that just to make sure it came out correctly. But I did feel an unnecessary dig at entertainment streamers and a need to defend them because I think that there's definitely room for both. There's obviously room for both, right? There are entertainment streamers. There are high mythic streamers. People want all kinds of magic content. They want all kinds of content about this game, all these formats, all these ways. So uh, I just... That, that that got me riled up. I think it's, it's really important to highlight. And I think I didn't realize how hard streaming was until I started to do it. It's easy to watch a streamer 
especially maybe a streamer who doesn't have like a massive production value on their stream, right? Like they don't have a bunch of crazy alerts going off and cool graphics and all this stuff and think, oh, that person just turned on the cam, turned on the mic, started playing magic, no big deal. Yeah, Danny makes it look easy. <laughs> our our I mean, guest I'm, here, I you mean, do, you make it look easy, dude. <laughs> I, I don't know, I just... I mean, I really have a simple stream, right? Because I wanted to people watch me because of me and the gameplay, right? That was that's why my stream is so simple, and I, I like those streams as well, right? Let's say Crooky stream. I watch yep. this because of him and the game. I watch you because of you and the game, right? It's just that's what I like, and I could not change myself to just to. I have to be comfortable with it, right? And that's just what I do. Absolutely. But I, I think there are just things like CGB was saying, you're not f having a great day, you know, it's like maybe a day you'd rather just take a nap and watch TV or something. But you know, but you want to keep streaming because it's important to you and you want to grow the thing that you're doing. Or you work a regular job, and then you come and do your stream. You're not always going to be like in the prime mode. So you have to dig into yourself a little bit to, to get that energy or something that I've been really learning with my streaming and, I've, and I'm not a very successful streamer, but I'm still learning that even just things like how do I react when I lose a game? If you lose a game and you're super negative about it and you're really kind of like down on your opponent or like you can't let it go, you know, then people look at you and they're like, man, you're kind of being petty. Like, I'm not sure I want to keep watching. And so it's just simple things like that where I've realized that you have to maintain a certain kind of energy and you have to give your viewers overall some kind of positive experience, right? Like they want to come away from your stream being like, I feel better watching this stream than I did before I you know whatever else I was doing so I think that's kind of an underrated aspect of streaming is just maintaining yeah maintaining the energy yeah go ahead Danny yeah I have something to this and I just realized maybe that's also a niche I don't know but people call me the nice dude streaming like I I, I don't tilt I mean I tilt when I see Vinota or something like this I used to tilt but then I, I packed my tilt into something fun, right? Like the robber randomness, all the random stuff. You can make it fun as well, right? Even when you tilt and then like everyone knows already, then you give this a nickname. But for some reason, um, there was once a guy, <laughs> I don't know the name anymore. And he was like, yeah, I don't, I was in a different chat and he didn't realize I was there and people were talking about me. And then he said, uh, yeah, I don't watch uh, Danny too much. Um, he's, he's too nice. He feels so unreal. <laughs> I, yeah, I was like, yeah. okay, yeah, I can see that. I, I mean, I make my jokes as well and sometimes troll or whatever, right? But I, I can see myself being more chill and relaxed about things than other streamers. It's just the way I am. I don't care if someone spams want to leech or whatever. I just, I just do, just do what you want to do, you know? I'm really chill. And I think that maybe is also a niche. But I, I don't know. I didn't, I mean, I think many people are nice. But I watch some streamers, they can tilt, they can tilt, but some in a fun way and some really serious. And I, I've definitely noticed that if I'm streaming and I get on tilt and it's like a bad tilt and it's like affecting my mood, I just, I feel like I'm just pulling the whole mood down. It's like I can notice people chat less. And so if you can make that your brand, if you can be like the ragey gamer who 
goes off and that's entertaining, then you're bringing something to it and that's fine. That's part of your brand. But if you're just kind of turning red in the face and getting quiet and you're still talking about that game three matches later because you're not over it, you know, it's kind of like people just don't, they don't really want to stick around for that. So Uh, I just want to say something. It's really interesting. Yeah. I mean, as you mentioned before, and I, I know CGP, you since when are you a full time content creator? Not sh- like a year, half year, a year, something there? Yeah, about uh, it, it, it had a few starts and stops, um, okay. but I, I would say about November officially. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's a pressure I really feel, especially the last two weeks. Um, I used to work every day. I can, I'm lucky that I can say when I work, but. Uh, Streaming a hundred hours uh, a month and then work full time, just really, really is hard, right? And then to uh, be yeah. like happy all the time, right? And then you sleep three hours and then you just do it again. So last week, for example, I streamed two days, only two days, and usually I stream four to five. And people ask me, I think okay, and I felt, I felt it felt strange. It, I was first, I missed it, and second. I always get this feeling, ooh, maybe maybe they, they don't come back, right? I'm not sure how, how oh, yeah. you, you had this. Oh, yeah. That's something I experienced this week. But then when I stream and I see like two, 300 or 400, I'm, I'm happy again. But it's still like this feeling, you know, you cannot change it. Oh, yeah. I, and it is real. Um, I like uh, when I traveled with Nerd Girl to Barcelona and Rome, and we were overseas for two weeks, and she didn't stream, and she came back. It like it was a rebuilding process because when you take a good amount of time off, uh, I took that time off too, off streaming, and my, I had a rebuilding process too. You know, I think I lost about somewhere between thirty and forty percent of my audience, and had to like get it back. Um, so yeah, it's a it's a true. Uh, it's a real thing, as I'm sure you, it sounds like it wasn't too bad for you, uh, but it, it is a thing. And I think most content creators fear it. And I think it's something that most people don't think about. Yeah, it's like this double stress when, I mean, I'm not full-time, right? So it's like, I work and I know, okay. It's like, it's this double stress that sometimes gets me. And on Monday this week, when I, oh, Tuesday, I only had like a three hour stream because I was really really that and i mean maybe people saw it i'm not too sure but that was like it was really stressful like just this process plus the stress with work and then stress of not streaming it's like it's this entire thing i just wanted to mention this it's really strange do you have a plan of trying to be full-time or is your plan to continue to balance work with what you're doing um i want to become full-time that's why i also started youtube and more channels and try to branch out right podcast there trying there something even if it's just reach wise um i have one downside um that's uh living in switzerland i mean living in switzerland is um really expensive we talk about Mm -hmm. really expensive so what people think is like uh, minimum wage is here maybe triple or four time right so you minimum wage is over 20 right it's like 23 four something you cannot even earn less power it's not possible so you can imagine everything is expensive as hell and then earning a good amount on twitch and all the channels it's just different here than in other places so if i want to become full-time i basically have to live at a different place again but right now (laughs) 
with the current world situation, this is not possible. So I have to grind more or just keep it like this and travel. That's the situation. I'd offer you my second bedroom, but I don't think the president will let you in my country. <laughs> no, they don't like us. <laughs> I was just going to say, I traveled to Switzerland. It was probably 10 years ago. And we get off the plane and we're hungry. And I go over to just like some side of the road place or whatever. It was 20 Swiss francs or something like that to buy a meal. And I was just like, I'm going to pay 20 bucks for a sandwich. You know, <laughs> it was just, it kind of blew my mind. So I definitely, I've experienced that firsthand and it, it, the squeeze was real <laughs> for sure. Yeah, that's it's definitely not the optimal place to be a full-time streamer. I mean, at my size, at other sizes, sure. I mean, CGP could live here. All the people could live here and stream. What? But for me, I yeah, I'm pretty there. sure. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you can. But for me, it's like, when I go, when I think when I reach the minimum wage, around the minimum wage, I could see myself tuning down my, my job. I already tuned down my job a bit, but since I'm a, I'm like contractor, right? Sometimes there's a lot of work suddenly and then I have to do it. Uh, like this week, for example. Um, but yeah, uh, I hope I get there. Uh, my plan is in the end of the year. Um, uh, now, I mean, I never planned this in January, right? When I started, I was like, just do it. But then the last two months, I was realizing maybe there's something I could try. And yeah, I hope so. There was an esports announcement about paths to MPL through challengers, pretty much everything running through Arena. Very little is related to Mythic Ladder standing, but a lot is related to events. Do you <laughs> have any aspirations of making a go at things like MPL and uh, that professional magic life as you are a competitive player? Um. I told myself I will do that when I manage to, to go to the point where I can just live from magic because then I can focus 100% on it. Because, I mean, sure, I play on a, on a competitive level, but then preparation for tournaments is another time, right? If I can just use the time where I spend for work, for preparations for tournaments, um, I, would, I would actually try to do it. Um, I was talking with... Uh, Seth and Jason and other players, and they always say, I should do it, I should do it, I want you to do it. And But I told them I just don't know when. Like, how should I find the time for that right now? I would have to let down my streaming a bit. But I know there are streamers, they prepare in streaming, like Canister is just streaming and then just goes to a tournament. But, I mean, I'm not even close to that level to be able to just do that. Um but if it's an arena, like over arena, I mean, maybe we, I can combine it. Then, mm -hmm. then I could see myself actually doing it. But yeah, I mean, right now it's not possible. It's too much. Yeah. The one thing I would say that you have a big advantage with is you have a network, uh, something that many players don't have. I never had when I was competing. You have connections to some of the best players in the world. They can answer questions just like they ask questions of you. You can cash in some of those yeah. friendship chips every now and then. Like you have good lists and good sideboard strategies and technology kind of in your, you know, hanging out in your discord when you need it. So if you can't commit that much time to putting in the reps yourself, those people can help you. And if all of these events are on arena, you could stream it on delay, possibly grow an audience. So I think it's a, 
I think it's just something that your fans and your friends are really interested in. People often say this to me. I don't enjoy competing that way anymore, but I think you might still enjoy that. But I would um, enjoy competing. I'm I'm just throwing in my I guess I'm throwing in my uh my uh support I mean, behind you doing some MPL stuff in the future. Get that I money. like I like it. I always was competing my entire life. And there's a really funny story how I came into video games in general. I played football or soccer, in your case, for like 14 years. And I injured myself really bad. And I was like, let's say, I would say I was really good in soccer, like really good. And then I got injured really bad and I couldn't play for an entire year. And then the doctors and I couldn't walk and all that stuff happened, right? But in my... in Inside myself, I needed to do something, right? So I played StarCraft 2. That's like, it's a, it's a competitive game back then. And I played that all day with my sticks. I couldn't walk. I was just sitting there playing, playing, playing until I reached the highest level, competing in big tournaments, DreamHack qualification, whatever. And that's where I found the way of competing again. And so I think you're right. I love competing just in general. It's just my nature. But, yeah. Well... Yeah, I I second that. I think that you've got what it takes, and I would love I would love to see that. And um, and I I was just remembering that. Yeah, this came up a little bit earlier, but definitely go check out the podcast that Danny co-hosts. Remind us the name: MTG Pro. MTG Pro Play. MTG Pro Play. That's right. So I was getting it confused with the one that um, Paulo, Sam, and... Uh, Pro Points, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Pro, Pro Points, point, exactly. I remember that. <laughs> so, which is a, a podcast that hasn't been running for a while. But yeah, MTG Pro Play, go check that out. Um, really excellent, uh, excellent podcast and just another way to interact with Danny and his content. Okay, why don't we transition to talking about some con- concrete magic cards and strategies here. So Jumpstart just released on Arena and brought a metric ton of new cards to the historic format. And it's definitely along with the recent bans and suspension in historic, uh, it's really shaken up the format. And so this is like real time. A lot of people are iterating right now. I've played some historic. Danny's played some historic. Have you played any historic yet, CGB? Not with the new cards. Mm, Okay. Yeah. But I study deck lists. I'm a net decking nerd. I'm on my Twitter just looking for them. None of us, and it's probably just safe to say no no arena player right now is like an authority on the historic format. There's just too much going on. So we're all kind of learning it and and have a chance to... It's an exciting time to look at new cards, build decks around them, try to adapt existing archetypes, look out for what have the potential to be new archetypes. So why don't we just go into some of what we're seeing and some of what is feeling like possible to do in Historic, some of what might be good. So I'll kick things off. One of the decks that seems to have just gotten insanely powered up with a number of different cards that have been printed recently is Goblins. Yeah, I was playing yesterday on stream and my Goblins opponent had a couple of Skirk Prospectors out. And I think there was like turn four or something like that. And, you know, they, they don't, it's just not a very impressive board, right? And then all of a sudden they drop Muxus and they just put like five, five more goblins on the table and they're attacking me with a 10-10 haste. And it was, I was like, 
Okay. All right. Like, welcome to Historic, people. <laughs> these are I new just, cards. I need to read these cards. What I just had no. Just... I had no idea that that was possible in Historic. Yeah, so. this is this this combo, right? Where if you play the one mana goblin, where you sacrifice a goblin, you get the uh, a red source. Then you sacrifice enough so until you have six, and you play that goblin, where you take the top five for how many cards? Can I? I can read it. I yeah, read it right us the here. card. Okay, read it. Yeah. Muxus Goblin Grandi is four red red for a legendary Goblin Noble. So six freaking mana. Uh, when it's a four four, and when Muxus Goblin Grandi enters the battlefield, reveal the top six cards of your library. I'm having Winota flashbacks already. <laughs> Put all Goblin creature cards with converted mana cost five or less from among them onto the battlefield. And the rest on the bottom in a random order. Whenever Muxus attacks, it gets plus one, plus one until end of turn for each other goblin you control. You get five go- you you get six cards. All of the goblins that cost five or less. That's like all the goblins. Yep. All like the goblins. The, the Siege Gang Commander costs five. That like you can just here's my three Siege Gang commanders from the top of my deck. Shuffler's fine. Um I, oh my goodness. There's actually one card that I think makes this card so powerful. I mean, this card by on its own is a six mana for four goblin. That's not like something you play in a goblin deck usually, right? Turn six for an aggressive deck. Nice nice high end, right? But the card that you uh, that lets you in, uh, sacrifice a goblin to get a mana just makes you able to I mean, you don't care. You sacrifice your your little goblins there, right? Whatever. Then you you play this turn three or turn four, bring it in, and then you just attack because there's also another goblin in the jump start, and that's that's the one that enables this as an OTK, right? It's the three mana goblin chief train, um, two two haste. Other goblin creatures you control get plus one plus one and have haste. So this is a goblin lord that oh gives Lord. haste, right? <laughs> so if it. you hit one of the chieftain in those goblins, you win. It's it's done. <laughs> Right. They all get plus one plus one. They all yep. have haste. They yep. all attack. Oh god, it's goblin. So this is kind of the glue, again. the the thing that makes the stack out. Uh, yeah, it's you see it a lot. You see it a lot, and I think it's powerful. Um, so there's also goblin matron in historic, which lets you tutor for a goblin. Right, it's three yep. mana for a one one. Yep. Let's you search up a goblin. There's the Snoop, the new M21 card, yep. the 2-2 that lets you play goblin spells from yep. the top of your deck. Yep. I'm, I'm looking at a list online right now from Andrea Del Moro, um, and this has Black mm. Splash for Call of the Death Dweller. Yeah, yeah. Um, Andrea, I think he he wrote me. I'm not sure. Yeah, I talked about Andrea, and he used, he used to have uh, no call in first, and then he added it later. And it performed even better just to get some cards back, right? Um, a goblin chain whirler with death touch or fanatical yep. firebrand with death touch. Uh, that is why goblin chain whirler kills it all. Fanatical yep. firebrand. I introduced Arjuna to call the death dweller fanatical firebrand in our historic face off a month a, ago. It was a fun beating for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a lot, man. I mean, there's this. Uh, we also got Krenko Mob Boss, two red, red, three, three, and it has the ability tap, create X one one red goblin creature tokens, where X is the number of goblins you control. So, oh my gosh, that's that's. <laughs> I I give this card Krenko um, in a 
in a deck where I want to curve out an attack each turn, I think Cranko is weaker than the ones we just mentioned. Um, because it's a nice setup, it's a nice setup, right? But creature cards, I, I tell you this, creature cards in standard right now that come into play and do nothing are usually not the cards you want for four mana in an aggressive deck. Right, but creature the cards, chieftain, it has haste, though, and you, then you get to <laughs> then attack you, with yeah, everything the same day. Oh, oh <laughs> so good. But, but you get, you, I think you know what I mean, right? And yeah, I think yeah. on itself, I can see this as a one-off if you want to spice, like a bit, bit spice over your deck, and then it works and you're super happy. No problem, but just from power level perspective. Well, does. I'll tell you what, I, um, you know, I was just playing my trusty mono green in Historic because I couldn't decide what I wanted to play. And um, I had no answer for the mob boss, and it came down and it made four tutus because they they had the goblin chieftain right, and so that was pretty nasty, man. I, I gotta see. Was, I want to point nasty. out forty six minutes on this recording <laughs> until a mono green was mentioned. <laughs> I know. I didn't. I didn't make it a whole episode. It was Very a it, it was a viewer request, by the way. Viewer request. Um. But so yeah, so goblins just definitely looking like a could be could be like a premier aggro archetype in historic. Um, I think th- there's one world where when it's an early meta, right? And we saw decks that have claim and priests, and if those decks exist in historic as well, with citadel and all that kind of thing, creature decks just become weaker again, right? Um, maybe now in historic, since it's faster, it's still possible. But I, this is what I'm looking forward to: how cards like claim and, and, and those cards will be played in the in the format. And uh, if so, will creature deck be still playable or not? Because there's goblins and elves, for example, as well, right? So that's a good transition to a uh, Rakdos Citadel deck. This is the thing that Crokey's like just started streaming with uh, as soon as jumpstart dropped uh, almost a standard deck, except for four copies of stitcher supplier and four copy, two copies of Phyrexian tower. And it's there because Phyrexian tower is a legendary land that you can tap to sacrifice a creature and add two black mana to your mana pool with a turn two priest and a turn three Phyrexian tower. You can play a Bolus's Citadel with, on turn three, without green in your deck, without traditional mm. ramp in your deck, um, what? <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a big what, right? Um, what? <laughs> it's hard. I mean, it, it's a six mana win you the game spell, right? And if you play a, a win the game spell on turn three, if that shapes the meta, every deck needs an answer to it, like a main board artifact hate main board counter i don't know i really wonder how it's it's going to play out but this deck yeah. used to be really strong before um before the jump start cards and now i think it just elevates to the next level with this just with this land in general i would say it's amazing yeah yeah phyrexian towers like it's one of those cards which i think edges towards older formats and power level i would say you know any any land that like can just tap and add more than one mana to your mana pool is like something you should really pay attention to. Um, I mean, you don't need a Citadel for this to be stupidly good. Like who cares about your gutter bones, your stitcher supplier, your cauldron familiar, like 
man, like village rights was already okay, but like getting a burst of mana like that is better, right? It's crazy. Like, and, and attached to a land that already just can make mana, I it's insane. <laughs> yeah, it just so, so many applications. I mean, just as well as the fact that it's just another sack outlet in your deck, right? So it's like if you didn't draw the oven or you didn't you don't have the village rights or whatever this is just another you can just claim and feed it to your land right so i mean it's just it's it's nice to have that option as well yeah exactly yeah um so yeah definitely keep an eye out for these for these black based sacrifice archetypes could be super super strong in the meta um why don't we talk about another tribe that got a big boost in historic which is elves um, we've had like a couple of pretty relevant elves added to historic and uh, could definitely be seeing some play, perhaps. Uh, yeah, I mean, I played it on my stream and Crookies played it on his stream and then he sent me his list. And there are definitely two cards that stood out a lot to me. Um, one is the Allosaurus Shepherd, the one mana, one one. Um, where Shepherd can't be countered and green spells can also not be countered. And on top of that, you have this six mana uh, you can spend to make every elf uh, base power 5-5, five, five, which is really nice. Of course, it's expensive, but then you get the other card, the Elvish Archery, three mana, 2-2, two, two, Lord Effect, or the elf gets plus one, plus one, and you can tap it and add one forest for each elf you control. So sometimes you attack, tap this, and then you have 30 power, turn three or four. It's a bit ridiculous. 30 power. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah, sounds fair. Might, might be these. <laughs> My take on the Shepherd was that everybody who showed it to me on Allosaur Shepherd was really excited about the first line of text, which is it can't be countered and green spells you control can't be countered. People seemed very high on that as many um players often are when they've been traumatized by my evil Teferi decks too often. But when I looked at the card, I was like, if I wouldn't even play this card anywhere if it weren't for the last line of text. So if this deck has access to that free mana, like huge free mana, then suddenly just turning your team into a mega team of dinosaurs and winning the game, that that to me is where the shepherd shines. So I, I, I'm curious how many uh, you and Crokies are trying because I wouldn't play four. It seems like a two or a three because to me, I only want the last ability. What do you think? Um, I mean, you really want the card since you don't have card draw in the deck itself. So on the three, I could not see this. Um, I can see three because you really just want it for the ability. But when you miss it, when you miss that card, you wish you had it. So, so you're like, not playing Beast Whisperer, Vanquisher's Banner, like any of those like card draw, card advantage. I mean, okay. there's Hench in the side, but no card draw. It's just a really beat down okay. deck where you curve out and finish off, right? So I think then you need four. But I could see if you have like a more mid-rangey elf deck, right? Where you have also some card draw. I could see less. But in an aggro deck, I think you want four. All right, cool. Thank you. One of the cool play patterns you can see in this deck is just like actually a lot of, you know, playable one drops, right? Like you have the Allosaurus Shepherd, you have your Lanoir Elves. Pelt Collector is an elf, right? Yeah. I, I think it is. So you, yeah. you, you could theoretically have like a, uh, you know, green aggro deck that runs like 12 one drops and 
run one of these, you know, Lord. What, what's the Lord Elf that um, that buffs all the elves? There are two, right? I mean, the new one mm-hmm. is a three mana elf. There's three. And, yeah, that's three. Yeah, that's one more. But I think in the deck I used to play, there were only two. The two mana and the three mana. Yep. Two and, mana is Clan Caller, right? Clan Caller, yeah. Caller. And three mana is, this it's elven. a weird name, Imperious Perfect. Mm. Is that yeah. right? Okay. I think something like this. Yeah, I need to I need to check it myself. But uh, the new three mana Elvish Archstreet, it's just this card is completely nuts. Like with so many one drops. If I remember when I play Lanor Elf turn two, I play Archstreet. I have two elves in my in, in the play. Then I have like so many elves in my hand. I was like, okay, I play an elf. I play an elf. Tap Archstreet, get five more mana, four more mana. I play my hand. You go. Turn three, I have no hand anymore, and everything is on board. And then attack, win. <laughs> so it's similar to like Goblin. You can actually turn four. You have so much damage. It's it's really, really hard. So. Wow. Yeah, uh, we're also forgetting about Llanowar Elves. And uh, mm-hmm. I think they printed a good two-drop in Dwinin's Elite that makes, it's basically two Elves for yeah. two mana. Okay. Yeah, also good in this deck, yeah. Yeah, so keep keep an eye out for something like that. Now, this this brings me to another card which has been good in other formats. I don't know if it's going to be good in Historic, but what do you guys think about Craterhoof Behemoth as a top end for some of these green decks? Um, like, there's one in sideboard for Elf, by the way, to, to fetch with uh, Vivi. There you uh, go. It's cool. It's cool. I The one deck I built on my stream was built around Craterhoof Behemoth. And I mean, when I saw this card, I was like, yeah, I'm going to play Luca. I'm going to play Luca and I'm going to make some tokens. And then I just win turn four, no problem with the Transmogify. And it happened actually a lot. Um, <laughs> you have uh, eight cards to fetch this card, right? Mm-hmm. And it's way better than the, what is the Forerunner? Forerunner? Andres, yeah, Andre's Forerunners. Yeah. yeah, the Pain yeah. Bacon. The, yeah, this one is just way better. Like the power of the creatures is insane. If you get just like four tokens out and then you play this, it's it's absolutely crazy. Let's. Uh, I'm just gonna read this card for some of our players who haven't uh, had the joy of losing to Kratohoff before. So it costs the same as the Pain Bacon. Five green, green, green. Five, five. Uh, creature beast with haste, and when it ETBs, creatures you control gain trample and get plus X plus X until end of turn, where X is the number of creatures you control. So the the um, Enray's Forerunners has, it just gives a flat buff. It's what, like plus two, plus two or something like that. Um, but Craterhoof is like, there's there's no ceiling on how big your creatures can get. And the Craterhoof adds to your creature count as well, right? So if, so if you have three measly creatures in play and you play Craterhoof, all of your creatures get um, plus four, plus four. And that's including the Behemoth as well. So... It's savage. I mean, it's just a totally savage card. When I was watching, uh, I was watching competitive magic at the time when this was in standard. I wasn't uh, actively taking part, but you always knew when somebody got out the pen and paper and started doing math, you always (laughs) knew what was coming. (laughs) Because you you have to do the math, take the trample, add, add their life total to the toughness of their creatures and figure out if they're dead. The answer is usually yes. They're usually just... Yeah. Dead. <laughs> yes. uh, this is this this elf deck sounds very similar to the goblin deck in that we have access to a tribe, a ton of mana, a decent amount of 
uh, a decent amount of early plays and mana generation. We smash our hand onto the field and we have a crazy board state very quickly. Who wins? Good question. It's a good uh, coin flip. It's definitely something. Uh, yeah, that, that has a lot of decision in, in a in a in a match like this. Um, Elves, Elves has the crater hoofer over the top if they run that version, and yeah. Goblins has the um, call the Death Dweller Chain Whirler combo. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you come with the call, if if you have the Chain Whirler combo, then definitely Gobo wins, but. Elves tend to be bigger because you have you play more lords, and I think you play them faster as well because you have mana acceleration. Where in Goblin you don't have that too much. You have like one card that gives you mana, but everything's cheap, right? But in Elves you have like this huge amount of uh, of mana you can use. But I think since we have a red deck there. A red deck is a good way to sideboard against creature decks in general. And so in a best of three, I will give Gobos the edge. That's how I feel. Um, I played against Gobos with Elves a lot. And if you have cards like Hench in the sideboard and you want to go like this, okay, let's play creatures and you'll go and you'll go and just keep this going, right? Then I think with Hench and some tuning, you maybe can do it, but you need to get there. And that's the hard part. The call the Death Dweller Chain Whirler thing feels like cheating. <laughs> just, yeah. just saying, goblins. What, what are you doing, goblins? You weren't supposed to be doing that. <laughs> that ain't right. Uh, all right. So there's a couple of other cards that just stood out to me looking at these. One of them is Languish coming to Historic. Now, Languish, definitely a very playable sweeper in Standard when it was there. I don't know. Do you guys think Languish has a place in the format, or is it not quite like the damnation that we were hoping it might be? Well, I think it deals with all the creatures you want to deal with. Minus 4, minus 4 is pretty huge. Um, the other option would be, uh, what's the name? Ritual of Suit. 4 mana, destroy all creature of uh, 3 CMC and lower. Mm-hmm. Um, I think language is better. It uh, plays around the indestructible clause as well. Um, not sure how uh, important those indestructible creatures are right now. Um, I like language. Uh, it was played against me when I tried the elf uh, deck. Um, it felt painful, really <laughs> painful. And I think sweepers definitely have a spot um, because there are many tribal decks. Um, so I think it's definitely playable. Also, there's one deck that if you play right now historic, I think every second deck will play Field of the Dead. Mm-hmm. So it's always nice to have like one or two of them in your deck. So I think this is definitely playable right now. Yeah, it just it stood out to me as as one of those cards which can just be like a policeman of the format, right? It can, it can police the format and a card that you might have to start being aware of and, and maybe playing around. Because I think people are used to like, you know, they're used to playing around Ritual. We're getting used to playing around Extinction Event, but Languish is like, can can by far be the most powerful out of those three, um, especially depending on the matchup. So yeah, I would just just definitely keep an eye out. Like if you're playing against any any black deck, especially any more kind of controlling black deck, they can definitely whip that one out out of nowhere. I think that Languish gives the Field of the Dead decks 
an opportunity to get away from Bant if they want to. I'm not saying they want to, but I think that they were pretty much stuck in Shatter the Sky to Fairy Time Raveler land. And there have been some Sultai like Yark field decks lurking, but they were always significantly worse at buying time. And Yarik and Languish are friends. Like they're yep. they're they're they don't mind each other. They're good friends, yeah. Yeah, Golos too, if people are playing that. Okay, uh, another card which is kind of, I think, deserves some conversation, which is going to get played in these field decks, is Explore. So what, what do you guys think about... We, we just last episode, we had a discussion on the, uh, on the Growth Spiral tip and, and how strong Growth Spiral is. So what do you guys think about Explore entering the format and what that enables? Well, I mean... Growspire is probably the best card in standard right now, right? So let's have two of them in historic, I think. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> it's gonna uh, be fun. Oh man, I don't know about you. I when I actually found out that Explorer was coming to Historic, I think I just I I I had my iPad, I think I just set it down and I stared out the window <laughs> and just gazed into a very gray, very sad day. And I was like, yep. <laughs> I guess historic is going to be like this <laughs> forever and ever. Yeah. It's the idea that you can sweep on turn three pretty consistently from a deck that wants it. So any of these aggro decks, they can kind of print whatever they want for them because if you can go first and sweep them on turn three, it doesn't matter what they do. Sometimes going second sweeping on turn three is enough too. But, like, I'm looking at a Bant list from Andrea Mangucci on my screen. And do you remember when we had to run kind of clunky cards like Circuitous Root to get up to seven mana for mm-hmm. our fetch a few gates? Remember mm-hmm. fetch yeah, a yeah. few <laughs> gates? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it's weird because Explore and Growth Spiral ramp you from two to four. And you really want to get to five for Golos. That's what this deck maxes at is five mana. And the the thing that you forget is, oh, that's right. I can just grow spiral into like explore Uro and I'm at seven. I just need two of these. I just need two of these. I can run like all land, grow spiral, Uro, explore, Elvish Rejuvenator. And if I draw two of them, I'm like just there. It's, it's it's insane. It's crazy. Yeah. I, I wonder how Ram's deck gonna be. Sorry. Yeah. Oh yeah. No. Well, I was just wondering. Like, I wonder if having cards like Explore and Cultivate in the historic format opens up the possibility for non-Simic ramp strategies. Um, I, I don't know. I'm curious if you guys think that like we just have too many incentives to be in Simic to not be in Simic if we're gonna ramp. But do you think that we could see like I don't know, like some random like Naya ramp deck or some like mono green ramp deck. Is that a is that a thing? Um, I think as long as Ura exists, I don't think you want to change that at yeah, all. Probably um, not. I don't. I just both cards give you a card in the graveyard and ramp you, and it's just I don't. I, as long as Ura exists, you play definitely in a Simic color. I think. I mean, you can play something like ramp into Citadel, but as we just saw, the better ways to do that anyways in the archetype itself so i don't know yeah so probably not outside of some very focused strategy 
I think that would be an interesting enabler if they hadn't made Simic so busted. Like, I, I think I, I think the idea of a non-Simic ramp deck actually does open some play, some like space for people to build around like green, black rock strategies. Except they, except it, they busted Simic. That's that's just the way it is. And yeah, like Danny said, until Uro is for some reason, if they ever take it away from us, why would you play another color? With green, it, I, I guess you just play mono green or Simic. <laughs> All right. Are, are there any other cards in like the first pass of the format that are really standing out to you guys as potential players or cards that could shape the format? I saw cards that, like, I saw the young Pyromancer, for example, and I was building a burn deck with it. It felt pretty good. Not gonna lie, um, young pyromancer is the two mana two one. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery, you create a one one elemental. And this used to be played in pioneer in phoenix decks. So I also tried phoenix since there is also lava x x the one mana five damage. Uh, you can discard a card. So I thought like maybe there's a possibility to phoenix, but I think mm. there's so much graveyard hate that's just. Every deck has a graveyard head in because there's Uro and Cats, right? So Phoenix feels super awkward to play in that meta because the other decks tend to be stronger as well. But yeah, Pyromancer and Lava Axe from the common uncommon slots. I was kind of hyped, but not sure anymore. The Pyromancer thing makes me think that we have to learn the lesson of Hero of Precinct 1 like we do with every new set, nope. where it's like, you know, that, that was a good card and it was a good deck once. Back when making free one ones mattered, no. now they're just free one ones. They don't do much. <laughs> the power level of some cards are just insane, and I mean, most of the of the cards in like involve some Eldraine cards, but Uro is also just one print of Pharos that's just it's so powerful that. That, that's that's an Eldraine card that they forgot, right? That's yeah, what happened. They, forgot, they were yeah. like, oh, we were going to put that in Eldraine because Simic yeah. wasn't good enough. Yeah. So Oko sure. needs some help. We want to make sure Oko gets play. And yeah. uh, they just kind of left it off and were like, ah, yeah, I guess Theros, I guess. <laughs> I just think the power level got a bit crazy. And M21 felt, for example, a bit less powerful than, let's say, Eldraine. For example, so I'm glad. I hope they tune it a bit down, just a little bit. And in historic, now we have all those cards, so we can just if we want to if we want to be a super archmage type of player, we just go historic, right, and just do powerful things. And I like it for this. And yeah, it it I get the impression with this particular set jumpstart that they really are trying to edge the power level of historic towards pioneer. Um, and there are even some, yeah, some cards that are like kind of modern power level, I think, um, or have the potential to be. So, yeah, I definitely think that historic, like um, speaking of Crokey's, you know, I just saw a tweet that he made maybe even today saying Field of the Dead's too slow for historic. Um, and so we might actually start seeing historic turn into like, a, you know, turn, turn four or even turn three kill format pretty consistently. Um, so it's just something to kind of keep an eye on and think about. It's really like, it's, it's really been ratcheted up, man. I feel like the average power level of this format was just like cranked 
overnight. Oh yeah. boy, unban yeah. Oko, and we've got a format. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're completely right about this. As I just said, elves and goblins have the potential to win turn four. Yeah, it's, it's so. Yeah, and it's not like it's not like an Embercleave win either. You know, it's like it's like things have to line up pretty perfectly for you to win with that card on turn four. But like these decks can pretty consistently put together a good win. So I'm definitely keeping an eye on it, and I think you have to be ready for that. Like if you're deck if you're deck building in historic at the moment, you you've got to have answers to all that stuff. Otherwise, you're just going to get buried. Uh, just another thing that jumped out to me. I I don't know that I've been impressed with this tribe, but I played against some spirit decks on the ladder, and they they did get they got a big pickup in rattle chains. But I, I haven't been impressed with the deck so far. Do you guys have any thoughts about that? I did play it, and it cost me around six percent of rank when I tried to make this work. <laughs> okay, it just has no chance against goblins and elves. Like yeah. You can attack a little bit, you know, you have some damage. You have you have eight lords, like eight cards in lord cards, which is nice. But when, when you have like these little flyers that cost a bit more and the power is a bit trimmed because they fly and they just play milling creatures or like like anything, it just feels way weaker. Um, I think it's compared to elf and goblin, definitely the weaker one. Counters, counter spells need to be good. Like, yeah, that's that's the only way you play spirits is counter yeah. spells actually yeah. need to be good. And if you're countering a bunch of one and two mana creatures that are redundant with all the other one and two mana creatures in a deck, then they're terrible. Yeah. Um, so if you're countering a Golos, then might be all right. Yeah. It, when I played against it on the ladder, it felt overall to me weaker than just the mono blue tempo deck. Um, that felt like a deck that could just have a bigger control over the game um because yeah it it, it didn't feel like it could race like i didn't feel like the spirits deck could race yeah i think you're right i think mono blue definitely has more more play especially with the new cards that is also in jumpstart curiosity yes it's basically like got another curious curious obsession obsession. just you know it's like you have eight curious obsession now because why not that's another uh, thank you very much, Wizards, right there. Yeah, yeah, and when you play against it, they always have it. I never saw it. <laughs> I mean, I played against it two times, and they always have one or not two. So yeah, they also picked up Lofty Denial, which I think is pretty pretty yep. strong add to the deck. Let's wrap it up there. There's there's a lot of speculation we could make, but um, I think just uh, just keep an eye on the format, keep an eye on those archetypes, and... I'm excited. I'm. I mean, I'm excited to play historic. It's probably going to be my focus for the next couple of weeks, maybe even a couple of months. Yeah, I'm excited to get rampaged on on turn four or be the rampagee. Like, <laughs> let's do this. Let's yeah, go. CGB, you're, you're going to have to figure out where your like where your typical evil blue counter mage uh, identity fits into the historic format for sure. <laughs> yeah. I'm also working on my control. I, I, I try to identify all the aggro decks and try to build the best control deck. And I have two sketches now that I think could be there. But yeah, I, is it turn I like three languish or turn three shatter the sky? Uh, right now it's uh, turn three. Uh, the other cards, not not languish. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> 
All right. Well, uh, so we'll keep an eye on that moving forward. Uh, thank you so much, Danny, for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting magic with you. And so where can people find you on the interwebs? Uh, you can find me on twitch.tv slash Danny T. Law. Um, you can also find me on Twitter, um, Danny T. Law G, I think. Um, and on YouTube now, uh, Danny T. Law Gaming. It's my newest project there. And yeah, I mean, those three are definitely my uh, most common uh, channels out there. And yeah, thanks for being here. Excellent. Excellent. All right. And uh, you can find ArenaCraft by searching ArenaCraft Podcast on, we're on Twitch, we're on Twitter, YouTube, that channel's growing. Um, you can find us on all of your favorite podcatchers. You can also find Covert Go Blue on his YouTube channel. Just search Covert Go Blue. Also, CGB Gaming is uh, another channel which I just learned about today. So go go check out his second channel there. He also streams live on Twitch Monday through Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern. And that's going to do it for this show. And we look forward to catching up with you all next week. Later. 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 Thank you.